Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray this sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I just want to prepare you that your arm might get pinched today. The Apostle Paul, in writing the book of Ephesians, he doesn't, you know, it just, he's not afraid to go there. And he's done it, he does it all over the place in the Word. But, but ever since the Ephesian letter was penned, human nature and, and the enemy of our soul have collaborated to convince every born-again believer of the same lie. And the lie is this, that your sin is not really a big deal. That he wants to convince us that our, that our logic and our reasoning wants to try to convince us that sin, because you've been saved, sin is not a real problem. But that's a big problem. You see, it has been and continues to be the same draw for all believers. Get saved, see some change, and over time see a slow drift back into the same old habits and lifestyles that brought you to the altar in the first place. And think about how clever the enemy is. He knows that there's power and freedom in following and loving and living out your faith with Jesus. So he creates and he postures and he convinces churches to slow down, to back off, to take it easy and to make it comfortable. To stop loving God and following God and start just getting saved through shallow preaching and loud music. He'll keep them in a house that doesn't care about their soul and from there never be discipled to know that some things actually need to change in our life. See, within six months or so, they'll be living like the world and attending churches every now and then and they'll sort of feel guilty about it but won't even know what that is. Their lives will be miserable and they'll think it's all God's fault. See, right now today, Christians, including Christian leaders, have an atrocious rate of sexual immorality, whether it's viewing pornography on the internet or actually engaging in physical sexual sin. Evangelical Christians actually have a... Think about this. For the first time in history, evangelical Christians have a higher rate of divorce today than non-Christians. We watch the same amount of filthy TV content, movies, as the population at large. One researcher found that half of the baby boomers claiming to be born again in America today say that religions other than Christianity are equally good and true. One third of that group believes that reincarnation and astrology are real. Nearly half, nearly half of Christians in America support abortion rights. And in a 2001 survey indicated that uh, two-thirds of adults, this is 2001, indicated that two-thirds of adults who attend conservative Protestant churches question whether or not absolute truths are even real. You see, the church has been so high on grace 
that we forgot to tell people that sin actually ruins our life. Because of that, and many other misses, we have a church that looks no different than the world around us. We have a church that has lost its, its voice. Now we have a church that has to contend with the fact that the likelihood of getting divorced goes up if I join. Think about how clever the devil has been. But there is a solution. You see, the Apostle Paul addresses it in chapter four. He, he goes there. He, he starts instructing us to walk worthy of this calling of our lives to be in humility and then to use the gifts that God has bestowed on all of us to build the church and edify the body. And then we pick up in Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 through 24. He says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness." but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed by the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, Paul is, is now saying, yes, here's who you are in the first three chapters. Here's the work that's been done for you. Here's the actual, what's, what's happened in your spirit and in your soul. Here's the, all the pieces on the table. Then he turns and he starts getting into how we're supposed to conduct our everyday life. And he's not afraid to get Pinch you in the back of the arm. I love that imagery Pastor Shane used a few weeks ago. He's not afraid to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable by saying, hey, what you're doing and how you're living, don't do that. There's actually a right way and a wrong way to live. And so often we get into this because we go, well, I just don't want to be legalistic. I don't either but I don't want my life to be a living hell. I've been free, so why do I walk around in chains? And so there's this, there's this line of like, well, we don't want to be a legalistic church, but we also don't want to be so frivolous to think that we can play with sin and it not kill us. And so we have to hold the line. Like pastors, we got to have some balance in life. We need some, some rules and ways to conduct ourselves to prevent us from going too far. Why? Because if you're anything like me, I will go too far. That's just the honest truth. I will, if I don't put some parameters around life and go, man, there is a right way to live. I can't go there. I don't wanna be, I can't spend time in this space because if I do, the enemy's too clever. 
Sin is too tempting, but the problem with sin is it's fleeting. It's broken, it's burnt, it's, it's not what it, what it appears to be. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves in this tension and the point isn't get so legalistic that I, you know, I don't even look at people. I'm just gonna hide in my room and wait till the second coming. And not to be over here acting like an idiot and wondering why my life is miserable and then blaming God for it. Why? Because the word gives us a different way. But I want to remind you of some things. This commentator said it like this. When you receive Jesus, you're born again. You enter into God's kingdom. You become a totally different individual. It's not EN 2.0. It's a brand new creation in Christ. That change occurs when you're saved. And listen, this is more dramatic than when, we, when we're, our physical body dies. You know, when you're a believer and you follow Jesus and you're walking in his will and ways for your life and you're conducting yourself according to the righteousness of God, not the, not the depravity of the world, when you transfer from this life to the next, that, that's, that's, that's not as dramatic as when you were dead and then you were born again. Some of you are going, what? Now that seems dramatic. But that's a, that's a, hey, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus and today I'm swallowed up by life. That's why we can have celebrations of life. That's a lot different than when you were dead in your trespasses and sin and then you became born again. And so all of a sudden, we have to remember this and realize it's a brand new creation. And Paul tells us, We've been given a new will, a new mind, a new heart, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new life, new inheritances, new relationships, new righteousness, new love, new desire, and a whole new citizenship. He called it the newness of life in Romans chapter six. And some teach that when a, when a person becomes a Christian, God gives them kind of a new edition of themselves. But according to the word of God, we are brand new. However, that raises the question, if I'm a new creation, how come I still sin? How come I still have temptation? How come I still have, have longings toward that thing? How come I still stumble and I fall if I'm brand new? And I love this commentator. He said, he said Christians continue to sin because their new nature is encased in a smelly old coat known as the flesh. In Romans 17, Paul says, it is no more that I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me, that is in my flesh. When I sin, it is not my new nature that sins, it's the sin that dwells in me, the, the sin in my humanness, the smelly coat that my new nature has to endure for the time being. And what we need to do is get rid of the coat as best we can on this side of the veil. We need to no longer walk in certain ways. See, in 1 Peter 2, 1, he starts giving us this imagery in other places. He says, hey, we've got to take off. We've got to lay aside. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, it says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You see that word, they're laying aside. It means to cast off, 
to throw away old, soiled garments. Like at the end of today, when this coat is saturated in sweat, I will take off a soiled coat. Think about it, beloved. This is something that we don't talk about enough. We need to take off some behaviors in our life. There are some parts of you and you're going, well, I've been in the church a long time or I just got here. I'm not ready to change yet. It's like either way, every one of us has something. We, I mean, y'all, if you're not regularly, I'm giving away the end of the message. If you're not regularly living in confession and repentance, then I don't know how you're growing up in Christ. Like, like we need to make that so much more regular. Like I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'll confess to you this. This week, there are times I've had to text people and go, hey, I acted out of accordance to God's will for my life. That's, I said that, I, didn't, I shouldn't have said that, I did that. I, like, I want to regularly live in a posture of humility and recognition that God is on the throne and I'm not, and that I, when I break his ways, when I don't do his will, I wanna confess it, I wanna repent of it, because I wanna be free from it. And so all of a sudden, if we're not living that way, if we're not taking off the garments of, of, of the old smelly coat, then no wonder your life stinks. And if we stop pretending that we've got it all together and we're all perfect and we start living the word, then all of a sudden we're gonna be obedient to lay aside malice. What is malice? The desire to do harm to other people, listen, which often hides behind apparently good actions. Christian, you need to understand something. Stabbing someone in the back while smiling to their face is godless and it needs to get out of the church. We cannot walk around and do things and be you know, sneaky and cunning and baffling and devilish and wonder why it doesn't work out to righteousness. It is because sin is real. Malice has no place in the life of a believer. Peter says it, take that off. That's an old smelly garment. That's a nasty way to live. Deceit, deceit is a deliberate attempt to mislead other people by telling lies into the world. You're telling me that doesn't happen today? Did you see so-and-so? Well, I think they meant this. I, I saw the way they talked. Yeah, I think this is what they... You're telling lies into the world. That's, that's deceit, that's malice, that's wrong, and it needs to be taken off. What's the next one? He says, hypocrisy, an old acting term. This is the kind of deceit in which a person pretends to be different from what they really are. Y'all, you could just stay here all day. If you, like, I want to be the kind of person, I'll own it myself, and I want us to be the kind of people that are okay looking in the mirror and saying, I know who I am. I know my shortcomings, I know my failures, I know my, my victories, I know my strengths. I'm not gonna be less or more, I'm just gonna be me. And what I can tell you, and I, this is not a boast, I'm the same person on this stage as I am anywhere else in the world. I'm not a phony, I'm not a fraud. I'm not gonna sell you a bill of goods on stage and then go, like, I'm a real broken person that, that makes messes, that has to clean them up, but I'm gonna be responsible to do what God's called me to do, and I'm gonna take ownership in what I mess up. 
And I expect you to do the same. Hypocrisy has no place in the church. This kind of that deceit that says, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be one way in front of you, but I'm gonna be another way in front of other people. Especially that are acting from good motives when it's really, they're motivated by selfish desires. Think about that. I'm gonna do good, act good, give good, serve good, but really all I'm trying to get is control. Really all I'm trying to get is to manipulate. Really all I'm, I mean, like when selfish ambition and desires start to well up and we start to act differently in order to make that happen, it's gotta go. Take that off. Envy, the longing for what other people have. You know why this is so bad? Because the enemy has sold you and I a bill of goods that, that if I just had X, Y, and Z, if I just had this stuff, if I just had these things, if I just had that much money, I mean, you know, we all, like, I fall into this. And all of a sudden, he tells us that if we just had fill in the blank, that our life might be better. That's a lie from hell because stuff has no value in an eternal being. What you have is just what you have is stuff. It might be nice stuff. It might be not nice stuff. But to envy what other people have is to put their things above their person. To start to go, oh, oh man, I, I need that. And, I, and in fact, I resent them because they have what I want. And what if we just started celebrating the fact that at least somebody you know has got it? So that's kind of cool. Good gosh. Just ask him to borrow it. <laughs> For like a year. It does, I mean, that's... what if we started celebrating instead of envying? God. He goes on. This is about Ephesians. We're just stuck here for a second. He goes on and says, evil speaking, slander is literally means talking down other people. Running them down would be a better way to say it in English. Just, just behind someone's back. They're not there. You're not, you know, this, a lot, this probably happens more here than it does here. But just talking about people, you don't know them. You've never looked them in the face and you wouldn't have the nerve to say it if you were looking them in their eyes. But you'll slander them behind their back. That's godless and it's gotta go. It can't have any merit or bearing in the church. If you're gonna come to me and talk about somebody else, the first thing I'm gonna say is, hey, just so you know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna tell them. <laughs> Typically, they just shut up. Or better yet, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get your sin out of my sight. And all of a sudden they go, Pastor, that wasn't very nice. I'm not trying to be nice. That's, that's the news flash. Everybody needs to, my job as the pastor or your job as the believer is not to be nice. It's to be kind and to love people more than you love the, the, the praises of men. And so you got to love them enough to say that's sin and I won't have a, I won't, I'm not doing anything with that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not joining with you in your nasty wickedness. We've got to do something different. And beloved, we need this kind of, I don't know, what is this? Just a, a, a exhortation. We need this in the body of Christ today. Now more than ever, because those statistics we just shared are not acceptable. We have to do better. 
And the word is clear. We must actively take off sin. We have to intentionally do violence. I think Steve told me this one. We've got to do violence to that which is breaking and tearing apart our life. Somewhere along the way, we stopped doing that and we have to do better. So back to Ephesians. We don't walk in the ways of the Gentiles without the advantage of the Holy Spirit. If you're walking along and your, and your life looks the way that he starts to unfold here, I mean, listen, he says the first thing that happens is they have futility of mind. They walk in this futility of their mind. This is a, this is a quick kind of shorthand way to write it, but, but he's explaining that, that when your mind is engulfed in futility, it has, well, what is futility? It has a lot of synonyms. Debased, un, unchained, untethered is one thing to say. Vanity, meaninglessness, worthlessness, pointless, useless, ineffective, hopeless are all synonyms. When, when our mind is stuck and captivated on a futile thought, when our minds are futile, that means we're not centered or based or rooted in Christ. When you have a futile mind, it means that we're doing things and we, we gather people and we do all this stuff, but we're chasing after the wind. It, it, it's, 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 it's worthlessness. Babel is the testament to this. Humanity was all united together. And here's pause. I don't care how many people believe a dumb lie. It's still a dumb lie. Just because you have numbers or you've got money doesn't mean that you have the truth. You can actually get a bunch of people to believe really bad ideas. Babel was the perfect example for this. We can reach God if we gather together, build our resources and get to heaven. And God's like, you know, as if God was up there going, oh no, they're gonna reach me. <laughs> oh my God, how much did you save up? It's futile. He looks at us, oh, I confuse their speech. It's, it's like they're wasting their time. Their time and energy and efforts and life is futile. It's debased. It's meaningless. And so when we spend our lives on a grand endeavor of, of, of futile thinking, we're just chasing the wind. One common goal, yet we're united around our glory rather than God's. Their efforts not only failed, but God enacted their greatest fear, scattering them across the globe and confusing their languages because their efforts were futile. Beloved, what dreams have you been focused on that have no roots in the kingdom of God? What desires do you have for your life that are totally possible for you to attain without the spirit of God moving in your life? You need to think about if that's really what you wanna spend your time, energy, and effort on because it could be futile. If, if you can attain it, if you can reach it, if you can grab hold of it without needing the Spirit of God to blow behind you and fill you with His Spirit, then you're not living in a kingdom life. You're living in the ways of the Gentiles. And it's gonna cause that futility to then have your understanding darkened and be alienated from God because of their ignorance that is in them, because of blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to then. So first it's futile, 
Then it goes, they turn over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness. See, what is lewdness? Lewdness is licentious violence, unrestrained sexuality, villainy. Do y'all see? I mean, LGBTQI+. This is that. This is that. Futile thinking leads into lewdness, leads into this violent, licentious, and unrestrained sexuality. This is America. And, and, and then it turns, you know, this is what's so different. It's one thing to say, I want what I want. I want to be able to do what I want to do. Freedom. Great. Be free. But, if, you know, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you need to conduct yourself according to the ways of the world. But when your futile thinking leads to lewdness, you are not in the kingdom. You, you can't be. They, they can't. That doesn't marry. He says, hey, this is the progression. And we'll look again in Romans here in a minute. That, that when we have futile thinking, it leads to lewdness that then leads to greediness. It's not enough that I'm able to do what I want to do. Now I want you to do what I want to do. It's not enough for you to, to let me do this freely. It makes, and now I want you to tell me it's beautiful. Now I want you to tell me that my way is better than your way. Now I want you to tell me, and if you don't tell me what I want, I'm going to hurt you for it. Lewdness, licentious, violence, overt sexuality, villainy, and then leads to greediness. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. Wanting what others have, coveting, unsettled desire for that which is deserved of me. This is the progression of sin in our life, in our culture, in our nation. And beloved, don't get so, so caught up on the nation part, which is real, and that's why we have to stand up for truth. But how is this happening in your own soul? How have we embraced this? How are we allowing this, this futile thinking to lead to lewdness, to lead to greediness? So what starts this debased, futile mind, opposite of a sound mind, leads to the human down a dangerous road and then continues to say, they embrace their former conduct. It's where we started, right? They start to act like they did prior to being saved. So if I can convince people to get involved in a church, to get involved in a body of Christ that, that doesn't tell me sin is wrong, that doesn't tell me there's an expectation to live rightly, then all of a sudden I can start to enact this inside the body of Christ. We stop rebuking each other. We stop telling each other where the boundary and limits are. We start accepting gossip. We start accepting some malice and deceit and wickedness. And we stop taking off the old soiled garments so the church smells like rotten eggs. And it's time we live differently. It's time the church stands tall and says, hey, I'm gonna start to take off this garment of death and put on a garment of praise. I'm gonna to start to conduct myself not in the ways of this world. Because y'all, this is Paul screaming out to, to the, the Ephesian church, but there's also other places where he says it just like this. I mean, look at Romans 1, 21 through 25. Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were hardened, darkened. Professing to be wise, 
The wise ones are actually fools, changing the glory of the incorruptible God in the image of a corruptible man. Is this not just coming to life when you turn on the news today? To birds, four-footed animals, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, beloved, how you live your life matters. How you conduct yourself matters. How you act matters. What you do matters. There's no doubt that the flesh is against your spirit. There is no doubt that it's hard, but there is a better way to live than just succumbing to the flesh in any way, any shape, in any form. There's a way to live the abundant life here on the earth. And the abundant life is found in living Jesus and his will and his ways daily. We have a playbook and we've got to start living like it. We've got to start confessing our sins and repenting of our sins and watch God start healing and cleansing us of our sin. So when all of a sudden we start to to want to embrace, you know, when we start to fall out of place, when we fall out of alignment, this is where that word says, you'll never stumble. You'll never fall to the point of not being able to get back up, that we need to be able to say one to another, I have sinned against God, I've sinned against you. I want to confess my sins and I want to repent. I want to turn from my wickedness. I want to turn from my brokenness. You know, it could be that people would do that if the body of Christ would start actually challenging each other every now and then. If we would just start to go, hey, it sounds like you're trying to gossip to me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Repent of your sin. If we did that, how much gossip do you think would keep going around the church? Immediately. Like, let that happen two or three times. And people are going to start hiding. I'm like, I ain't talking to nobody. <laughs> Sin will get flushed out of this house. But here's the deal, really quick. There's two different places I want you to look at confessing your sin because I think this is so powerful. We need to repent. We need to re acknowledge sin is, is broken. And so now I need to turn and walk the other way. That's repentance. And then it, we got to talk about confession because I think we've made confession so easy and comfortable that we've, we've forgotten that there's actually a lot of Bible about it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say anything about talking to other people there. So if we go to God and we say, God, in my private prayer closet, God, I have sinned. I've fallen short, I've messed up, forgive me. It's the word says it's promise, it's a promise. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You will be cleansed. There's, there's, heal, there's, that's, that, there's hope there. But then James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So that means there's two things that can happen in confession. When I confess to God, I'm cleansed of my unrighteousness, but I'm not healed till I tell it to somebody else. 
that I might actually have to go to a brother or sister, a trusted confidant, and I would recommend you have like one or two. You not, don't get up in front of the church every time, but just, just a couple people, find them in your life and say, hey, I sinned again. Jimmy, I sinned, I messed up. And I've, I've, I've repented, I've, I've talked to God about it, I know I'm cleansed, but I wanna be healed, and so I'm telling a brother. I'm walking out, James, in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess to God, I'm gonna confess to a brother, and I'm gonna be cleansed and healed. Because too many of us walk around cleansed, wondering why we're not getting freedom. And it could be that it's on the other side of a confession to a brother that God's waiting because he says, love me and love others and everything else hangs on that. And so we've gotta be the kind of people who start to actually think the word of God is not lying and it's not a maybe, it's not a, a possibly, but it's actually a guidebook for our life. And if we keep short list, you know, confession is hard when you don't do it often. Confession is difficult. It's, it's challenging if you wait a really long time between times that you do it. But if you regularly confess, it becomes an easier part of life. Because it might not be the most egregious stuff. We see that. The longer it goes on, the worse the stuff gets. It might be that you just have to own it early and often, and then all of a sudden, God, can you do something with that where it never has to go down the road? But if we make, if we let our list get long, if we let it get, get overwhelming, then all of a sudden it starts to prevent us from wanting to take it out, to take it off. We need to keep short lift, list, be covered by the blood. And when we step out of alignment, we have to own it and say we messed up. We were made for community with God and man. We're not supposed to just go hide in a bunker somewhere. When we take it to God, he cleanses us and restores us. When we take it to a trusted brother or sister, God is faithful to heal us. And we can finally start walking in the abundant life he's called us to that he died to give us. And we won't continue to walk in the ways the Gentiles walk because if we do, then what's the point of the church anyways? If we start walking in a different kind of way though, in the midst of a broken world, there's no stopping what God might do. And anything is possible. And we might actually see the church start to change the world again. Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you for these moments we have together. Thank you for challenging us, for prodding us to, to not just stay where we are, but to grow up in Christ to grow the church and edify the body. God, would you use this word in such a way that it would pierce our hearts and drive us to live differently so that we could indeed change the world. We honor you today and we bless you, God. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And if you're a first-time guest, make sure to visit a pastor in the lobby today. Love you guys.